1: To help Cam H treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than two hundred thousand Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a twenty-year warranty, and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase. Today, Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand.
0: Alison Smith, publisher of Queen's Park Today, Alberta Today, British Columbia Today, Parliament Today, and you're here today. You're also, of course, the co-host with me of the Wag the Doug podcast. Thanks for being here today.
2: I don't know. Yay. Thanks for having me.
0: So, today on the show, Rob Oliphant went out to play upon a tangled web of very strong feelings about the Middle East one day. And the local journalism initiative what is it? What was it? Is it, will it still be here? I don't know. Kind of a neat thing. And I think most people, even most journalists, don't quite understand. Welcome to Shortcuts, where we talk shit about the news. This episode is brought to you by Megan McKinnon, Crystal Henry, Stephen Burrow, Amanda Orr, Matt's Unik, Steve Suderman, Abdul Qureshi, and Jason. Hi, I'm Jason. I'm a lawyer from Hamilton, Ontario, and I listen to Canada Land because it gives me thoughtful information that's entertaining. It's thought and I like it. I think it's neat. Liberal MP and Parliamentary Secretary Rob Oliphant ripped into his government's policy on the war in Gaza.
2: That report details leaked audio from a call Oliphant had with a constituent. It is
0: opportunistic, um, it is uh, unfair, and it is maligning the operation of a UN organization. We have always had a strong
2: number of people who feel uh, and who reflect the diversity of
0: perspectives and views across the country.
1: Well, it's another example of how Justin Trudeau is a two-faced phony on the Middle East, just like everything else.
0: Oliven's criticism of Israel was excoriating. Uh, Beyond even brutal military action, these were acts of extermination, the killing of no mere enemy, but of those who, in the killer's eyes, were less than human, whose very existence was to be viewed as a scourge. It was, in short, the urge to commit genocide at its most evil.
2: Wait, no, that's the Harper op-ed. Yeah,
0: that's actually Stephen Harper's op-ed titled Israel's Just War that appeared on the front page of Tuesday's National Post. We'll get back to that. The Oliphant situation is considerably more scrambled than the weird, stark clarity of Harper's. And I don't mean clarity as a positive, necessarily, or a positive, just like... Those were some very direct words. So just, just a little bit of background. So Rob Oliphant, because he may not be a name most people know, uh, he is the uh, Member of Parliament for Don Valley West, which is a riding in North York and Toronto. He's been there since 2008 when he succeeded John Godfrey. He was really awesome. He founded the King's Journalism School and actually died a couple months ago. He was, he was cool. But Oliphant for the past five years has pretty much continuously been the Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Foreign Affairs. So, you know, his comments carry weight and is the sort of thing that, you know, a government might be alarmed about and is the sort of person where, especially on this issue, might be careful about being surreptitiously recorded, especially if you're going to present positions that are potentially contradictory. Um, yeah, very
2: contradictory.
0: There are a couple stories here. So let me actually lay out a timeline of what has, from what I have figured out has happened to with Rob Oliphant since the start of this year. In January 13th, he held a New Year's levy event with another MP. Some comments he made there that were recorded, those don't come out yet. So put that aside. On February 1st, he has a a call with a constituent that's surreptitiously recorded. Now put that aside. On February 9th, he attends something called the One Love Gala at the Jamaican-Canadian Association. Basically, he has what is described uh, in some posts on X as remarks that were I guess, characterized as being uh, dismissive of Palestinian people in attendance. Four days later, that same person who tweeted about that posts this recording of him at the New Year's Levy, in which he alludes to a couple of colleagues in the Liberal Caucus as being arrogant for presuming that Israel is, or believing that Israel is guilty of genocide prior to a ruling on that matter from the International Court of Justice.
1: I would never declare genocide unless I was in a court of law and I had all the evidence. I disagree completely with some of my colleagues who are so arrogant.
0: I have lived in West Bank. The next day, the call from February first is reported by the CBC. there was a call recorded by the constituent. This is a constituent who, in the CBC, just does not identify the constituent who has been calling for a ceasefire in the conflict because she fears publicity will lead professional reprisals. So she shares with the CBC the audio of this call with Rob Oliphant, in which he's critical of his government's unclear messaging around the ICJ case, as well as the way his government pulled funding from UNRWA, which is the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestine Refugees, uh, following allegations from Israel that some of UNRWA's staff participated in the October 7th attacks, allegations for which I believe Israel has yet to share the evidence that it says it has. Oliphant was recorded saying, quote, you don't stop aid to Gaza because of 12 or 13 employees out of 13,000. It drives me crazy, end quote. He also said Israel was probably engaging in genocidal activity and bluntly criticized the war itself, quote, but I also understand that Netanyahu is hurting Israel, not only killing Gazans, but hurting Israel. So for the love of Israel, tell him to stop. The article about that and some of the audio was published by the CBC that led to all the things we heard in the sort of clip pack off the top of the show where the prime minister has to respond and Paulie Averway is in. The February 16th, he then apologizes to his colleagues whom he had called arrogant, which is then reported on February 17th, last Saturday, in The Post, which at the same time that it reports his comments from the New Year's levy. So very exhausting to explain. I imagine it's more exhausting to live. I imagine it's exhausting to be him, but also I would hope it's exhausting in the specific time. What do you think, Alison? <laughs> That's a loss.
2: <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I mean, I read the CBC story reporting on the constituent call when when it came out. I did not know about a bunch of that other background that you covered. I mean, I think it's rare to get a story like that comes from a source like this that comes from a constituent recording a member of parliament on a, you know, what seems to be a pretty loose and casual phone call that they were having. It seems like an intense phone call, but it, not formal um, by any
0: means. Oh, I forgot one more piece of this is that in February 8th. In the House, because uh, Melanie Jolie, the foreign affairs minister, was away in Eastern Europe at the time, he had to re- take, basically offer the response in question period to a question about pulling of the U.N. Refugee Works Agency funding.
1: Was it the minister or the PMO who decided that Canada should turn its back on starving Palestinians? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: The Honorable Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Foreign Affairs. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Yeah, let me be very clear the funding that Canada is given to civilians in Gaza has increased just last week $40 million more on top of the $60 million which was already... Out. This makes Canada a top donor for aid helping the crisis in Gaza. Yeah, that's the other thing which may have prompted the person to leak the call. I guess usually when private conversations with politicians are leaked, and even that, it's you said, it's pretty rare, it's because someone has believes them to be... A hypocrite, or to have said something egregious and awful to them in private that they want shared publicly. Mm-hmm. In this case, at least in the context of this one conversation, it seems like it was someone who probably broadly agrees with him on his points, and so I just found that fascinating and tried to rack my head for precedence as a tactic. I just think I just think it's really. It's really interesting. It's a type of leak that doesn't happen very often.
2: Right. I mean, it's almost like Olafant is not who you think he is, you know, is what the, the leak mm. shows. But it's not, you know, the, from the constituent's point of view, it's not he's not who you think he is. He's a bad guy. It's like it's not who you think he is. He agrees with me, which is is definitely interesting. And I don't – I mean, it's a, it's rough. It seems like. He is very opposed, honestly, to the stuff the government has done and yet is defending it publicly, which is not, I guess, unusual for politicians to be put in that place. But I I think the, the, you know, the, the starkness between what he said in parliament defending... What the the government's aid package to Gaza as, like, good enough and, like, great or whatever, um, as compared to what he said up to the constituent, which is basically, like, if we were going to pull funding from this U.N. agency, we should have had a plan in place immediately to funnel mm-hmm. it a different way. And we did not. So, yeah, I mean, I guess that it's... <laughs> I I think you know I don't want to say Polyev is right, but like there had like the the liberal government does try is trying to play both sides on this issue in a way that I I think like the cracks maybe are starting to show.
0: Yeah, I mean the cracks are starting to show within a single person, mm-hmm. and it feels almost weird to be talking about like the messaging or whatever as opposed to the substance of it. But I guess this is a show about media criticism, and this is a weird case where it, Rob Oliphant's range of positions has kind of been splattered about in a really odd way. Yeah, it, it just, it's an odd way for it to come out. And you, you sort of contrast this as the sort of splattering of a variety of positions or at least ways to, or maybe he wouldn't argue they're contradictory, He'd say they're just different ways to frame the same thing. I don't know. But compare that to the The directness or bluntness that we find from the conservatives or particularly from the arch-conservative himself, Stephen Harper. On Tuesday this week, the National Post dedicated its front page to Stephen Harper's thoughts on Israel. Basically, the a big pull quote from him at the top and then in the center, center of the bottom half of the front page, Israel's just war, Hamas must surrender or be eliminated by Stephen J. Harper comment. A little to the left of that, a story, Former PM Makes Solidarity Trip to Israel by uh, Ari Blaff, who's actually I think, a New Post reporter. I think he was at the National Review in the States previously. So there are a bunch of things. I mean, as we've already – like I already quoted a bit off the top. Uh, it's very much uh, – I mean, it's fairly apocalyptic rhetoric. One thing I will say about the the story that the news report that appeared alongside it about his trip to Israel is that the report is entirely based on his social media posts and those of Israeli officials as well as the column itself. So you get the interesting case here where the news report, 757 words of which – yeah, 183 words, or 24, percent are direct quotes from just Harper and Israeli officials on social media. And then, by the way, there's no quotes from anyone else. And then 237 words, or a third of it, are direct quotes from the same op-ed <laughs> that appears right next to it on the same page. So as, as thrilled as the National Post must have been to get a, an op-ed from Stephen Harper like, oh, that holy shit runs another page, they made so much use from it by running basically 200, and, almost 250 words from it again in the same <laughs> in the same edition of the paper. <laughs> <sighs> What did you make for this thing?
2: I mean, his argument boils down. You know, what he's arguing is that Israel needs a blank check Mm -hmm. to do whatever it feels like it needs to do to eradicate Hamas and that, like, Western countries Mm -hmm. shouldn't ask for a ceasefire and should not try to police or influence Israel into... Not killing civilians or not doing whatever it doesn't want to do. And that, you know, if Western countries betray Israel, then we're risking a rise of, as he calls it, medieval jihad and ultimately like nuclear war and multiple (laughs) 9-11s. He gets
0: everything in there. Yeah, Yeah. nuclear jihad. It's like the crusade rhetoric, like Cold War rhetoric, war on terror rhetoric.
2: And along the way, he also praises Saudi Arabia and says that the West has, like, not been adequately um, appreciative of um, Saudi Arabia's. The Kingdom of Saudi Arabia was deepening its relationship with Israel, this is before Mm. October 7th, while continuing an ambitious modernization agenda that remains sadly underappreciated in the West. They Uh, chopped
0: up Khashoggi into bits. (laughs) I know. I mean, we should encourage more of that. See what else they can learn. And,
2: like, remember, Harper is the one who prepared deals for Canadian manufacturers to sell military equipment to Saudi Arabia while he was prime minister. Ah. And after, even when this, like, became a big controversy for the Trudeau government for reasons we don't need to get into, like, Harper said that he was proud that he did that. And he was, like, glad. So he has a history of endorsing saudi arabia and i mean the, the his mm. position on israel is absolutely nothing new like he's been a huge israel supporter mm. for since before he was prime minister he basically changed canadian canada's stance on the country and you know when it comes to the, like the like you said the war on terror talk which i think is really in here i mean he's Again, this like, I mean, give him points for consistency because he's a, a neocon hawk, right? And he has been, he wanted Canada to go into Iraq. He wasn't prime minister at the time, and, and we did not, but he, he fought for it.
0: Yeah, I mean, Harper is very famously pro-Israel and pretty much astonishingly pro-Israel. He's probably done more than any other individual to reshape Canadian foreign policy in the region and how the country talks and thinks about Israel more generally. And I kind of wanted to know when and how that started. And so, like, as with anything I want to wrap my head around, I did a search of the Canadian Newsstream database and then sorted the articles by oldest first. Some of the earliest stories about Harper and Israel were from the spring of 2002, shortly after he became leader of the Canadian Alliance Party, which was the forerunner to the current Federal Conservative Party. And those stories concerned how, since he'd become leader, the party had undergone an abrupt shift in its stance toward Israel to become more critical of it. Because whereas his predecessor, Stockwell Day, had been very rah-rah Israel, Harper purposely turned the party away from that, adopting a relatively even-handed approach, pretty much in line with where the liberals were at the time. This was during the Second Antifada, and Harper actually put in a statement in April 2002 urging the Israeli government to, quote, show restraint and look at long-term solutions. Per a National Post story at the time, you know, Canadian Jewish leaders reacted with concern. By the end of that year, though, like he was, you know, going on and on about the liberals taking so long to declare Hezbollah a terrorist group and brandishing his party support for Israel as a big selling point. So what changed? Like, how did he so quickly go from someone who had a position that probably wasn't that far removed from Rob Oliphant's to the kind of person who 10 years ago last month literally serenaded Benjamin Netanyahu with Hey Jude, Sweet Caroline and with a little help from my friends. Mm, a help from my friends. Oh, I'm going to try with a little help
1: from my friends. Do you need I to need a little one, help from my friend one Stephen, but I didn't know the Prime Minister of Canada is a rock star. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I don't think I knew that that's who he was singing to, actually. I remember. Mean, I remember him singing, but I didn't know that that was...
0: Yeah, I feel like there were multiple occasions when he publicly performed Hey Jude. But I, yeah, that, that, that one was January 2014 in Jerusalem. One theory about his pro-Israel transformation was that he was you know, vying to flip the handful of seats in the country in which there's a sufficient concentration of Jewish voters that a stance in Israel could potentially make a difference of some sort. The other theory was that he was playing to an evangelical Christian base that sees a Jewish presence in Israel as a precondition for the second coming of Jesus. So I wondered if maybe Mercer MacDonald's 2010 book, The Armageddon Factor, about uh, Harper's ties to evangelicals, might offer some answers about him and Israel. And as it turns out, yes. Yes, it does. As McDonald tells it, Harper's Israel stance was the product of a specific alliance between right-wing Jews and evangelical Christians, spearheaded by the then-head of B'nai B'rith Canada, Frank Diamond. They had multiple areas of shared interests, such as an opposition to same-sex marriage, but, well, here's what Diamond told McDonald quote, the Jewish community is stagnating and will probably shrink while the anti-Israel forces in this country are growing. We need a strategic ally, and that ally is the evangelicals. McDonald also wrote that, quote, Diamond was less than thrilled when Harper triumphed over Stockwell Day in the alliance leadership race. Within days that upset, he and former B'nai president Rochelle Wilner arranged a meeting to take the measure of the party's new boss. According to Diamond, they never discussed Harper's spiritual views, But by the time they left his office, they had garnered a commitment to Israel from him that would outlast his arrival at 24 Sussex Drive. Quote, we couldn't have asked for more, Wilner would later tell me. All of which is to say, while Rob Oliphant can hold a whole bunch of different positions or at least express them in a whole bunch of different ways within the span of a month, it is actually no less astonishing and perhaps even more so that Stephen Harper could go from having one view on this to the complete opposite or at least to being like the quintessential champion of Israel, such that Netanyahu called him a rock star.
2: I mean, what Harper's arguing for is stability in the Middle East, right? He wants Israel to...
0: Peace through war, right?
2: Peace through war.
0: Yeah, the idea that... I mean, peace is not the same thing as justice and order is not the same thing as... But,
2: I mean, it's also, like, I think we're at the beginning of this thing. Like, you know, Israel and Saudi Arabia were in the midst of, like, negotiations and, like, um, you know, peace negotiations to normalize their relations up until this war started. So there's already, like, the stage is already set for more conflict because of because of this. And I think there's also a really a good chance that in America— Joe Biden's uh, chance at re-election is going to be massively hindered by his support for Israel in this war and that could lead to a Donald Trump being re-elected and like is that a more stable situation? I think literally like 99% of people on the planet would say no.
0: So far over 29,000 Gazans have been Killed? A significant majority of whom are civilians. The Committee to Protect Journalists, count of journalists, confirmed to have been killed since, including October 7th, stands at uh, at least 88. Meanwhile, the National Post devotes its front page to Stephen J. Harper championing this just war.
2: I got some media criticism for you. The National Post did not disclose when they attributed this article to Stephen J. Harper, 22nd Prime Minister of Canada, that he is on the advisory board of a Toronto-based company called AWZ Ventures that partners with the Israeli government's Ministry of Defense to develop surveillance equipment.
1: Help as the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get ten percent off of your first month at BetterHelp.com/CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com/CanadaLand.
0: Allison, on this show, we like to duly note things. What would you like to note duly today?
2: So my duly noted is related to a massive story from January by Corrective, which is a German nonprofit investigative news outlet. Is this spelled with a K? No, a C. Oh, okay. This is a foreign affairs podcast this week. So in January, Corrective reported about a November meeting between the far-right German political party called Alternative for Germany Party, which when is AFD, which mm. that acronym makes sense in yeah. when Deutschland, Deutschland is yeah. involved. Yep, yep. <laughs> so officials from this party met with a group of neo-Nazis in a hotel yeah. in Berlin, and among the things they like discussed and like talked about plans for were mass deportations from Germany, not only of refugees and migrants, but also non-white German citizens that were deemed failed to integrate the afd is like started out as a a, yeah like i said a very far right party
0: and still sound like they're pretty far right
2: yeah and they were a fringe party when they for a while but support for them has really really grown in the past few years it's like as high as 30 percent in some parts of the country so they're really been like encroaching on the mainstream There's potential they could, like, get seats, you know, in in the next election. But the result of that reporting has been mass protests across Germany against the AfD for over a month now, like, huge uh, hundreds of thousands of people out in the streets. So it's had a a huge impact in Germany. But that that story is not my duly noted. My duly noted is a behind-the-scenes look at how Corrective got the story uh, from Semaphore, which is Ben Smith's news Mm -hmm. outlet. They published this on February 11th you <laughs> So it's just a really great journalism story. Mm-hmm. Corrective, which again is like a small news outlet comparatively in, in the country, they got wind that these meetings were happening. So they deployed more than a dozen journalists to like stake out the hotel and in order to get into the meetings, they one of the journalists like went undercover and they wandered around the hotel meeting rooms with an empty mug of coffee to like kind of be able to get into different rooms to like oh, try wow. to fill up their cup of coffee. And while he was doing that he was recording audio and video on his Apple Watch, and uh, which worked. And even better, the hotel, I guess, was beside a body of water. I don't know maybe people with better knowledge of Berlin's geography, this will be obvious what body of water it is, but doesn't matter. They rented a sauna raft, so like a floating party sauna, basically, and filled it up with revelers, like people to party on the sauna, so that their photographer could also be on this raft and taking photos into the windows of the hotel throughout the day. And yeah, they (laughs) did all this. They got the store it's like complete, ma- blew up like crazy in, in not just Germany, but across Europe and is having a really big impact. So I just, I love wow. that. Wow.
0: Oh my goodness. How many parts will the Hulu miniseries be? Duly noted. I'd like to note Duly. So Priya Duovetti, who was a, among many, many, many other things, was actually a former host of uh, the Commons podcast here back in the pre Archie days when it was a more political roundtable show. And she's a been a communications consultant, lobbyist, radio host, etc. She recently took a job in Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's office, which means that things she – comments she makes, that she has on Twitter are potentially news. And last month, a – the context is almost not even – basically a fight she was having with Canada Proud, which is, you know, the – ultra-populist online meme machine that's surprisingly influential in conservative politics and run by, uh, run by a guy named Jeff Bollingall, she, she got into a fight with them, which led to her comments or these comments being published in the Toronto Star, like actually in the print newspaper. Uh, responding to how the Canada Proud account implied she was acting unprofessionally and wrote she was having a public meltdown, Drovetti responded, you can go back to gooning Jordan Peterson now. And then the star explains, gooning is slang for prolonged masturbation. And when the account for Canada Proud asked how long before Trudeau's chief of staff, Katie Telford, demands Duavetti to stop posting, she replied, probably around the time you're able to make a woman come. So never. So that's funny enough. But I'm also in the story because the story uh, was by the star member, longtime member of the star's Parliament Hill Bureau, Alex Ballingall, who helpfully, uh, in a parenthetical aside, answered a question that, you know, sort of wondered about for a while, and just writing that Bollingall, Jeff Ballingall is not related to this reporter. However, the next day, the star actually chose to publish an editor's note. They got rid of that parenthetical. And they clarified, this story's been updated. A previous version stated the author, star journalist Alex Ballingall, is not related to Canada proud founder Jeff Ballingall. In fact, it was discovered after publication that they share a common ancestor, Alex Ballingall's great, great, great grandfather. I appreciate the transparency, and I just love everything about that. Duly noted. This episode is brought to you by Article. I
2: actually bought a lamp from Article. Oh, oh, oh. Um, I used the Canada Land promo code. Oh, cool. um, Maybe like four or five months ago. It is a moon floor lamp, I think it's called, Um, and it has an excellent glow to uh, read in bed before you sleep, and it's really beautiful.
0: A moon floor lamp. What makes it moon moonlike? moonlike?
2: The lamp itself is a like white globe oh. type thing with the light the bulbs inside it, so it kind of glows.
0: That's cool. Uh, we got some furniture here at the office, a couple couches, which I like very much and are very good for sitting down on when everything else becomes too much. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash CanadaLand, and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. How about that? That's article.com com for fifty dollars off your first purchase of a hundred dollars or more. One of the more impactful but less discussed programs in the past few years that the federal government has undertaken to support journalism has been something called the Local Journalism Initiative, which almost seems like like a like a punchline to a joke. I mean, it was they there famously Something some famously some voting this boring headline all the time something worthwhile Canadian initiative, but this is and was or and or was a worthwhile and a really interesting Canadian initiative that I feel is not really super well understood by even journalists let alone the public at large, and it's may or may not be about to expire. This was a thing that was a program that was announced in the 2018 budget, originally budgeted $50 million over five years, so $10 million a year, and then it was extended for another year. And just, you know, like, oh my God, that's a lot to spend on journalism. Well, just for comparison, $10 million a year, that's only slightly more than the top, uh, the, the five highest paid executives at Post Media made in each of those years. They were averaging about $7.5 million a year for each of those five, the first five years of this program. It's crazy. So, uh, when when you consider the value of (laughs) what you get out of the several hundred, several hundred, four hundred reporters at tons of outlets across the country to cover underserved areas, that can mean one of two things: either an underserved region. There's a geographic, like a community publication, a geographical region that would not have an adequate quantity of journalism, or it can mean a beat that it would be under that would be undercovered. So, for example, when the program first started up in 2019, the Toronto Star – and, you know, Toronto is probably the best served media market in the country, although Montreal seems to be pretty good too. Toronto Star actually got a few reporters, and they were covering uh, – there was an Indigenous Issues reporter, a Peel Region reporter, a GTA Community Housing reporter. In the time since, the reporters aren't really going to the the major, major dailies. So, going by the list of the current people who have LGI Journalist in 2023, 2024 year, those include – Northwestern BC environmental reporter at the Narwhal, three reporters at Canada's National Observer, including Ottawa Indigenous reporter, person specifically looking at federal policies as they impact Vancouver and BC, a reporter for Cortez and Quadra Islands. Tai has, for example, a, a BC healthcare reporter, a labor reporter looking at the changing nature of work life. And one of the things is beyond just like funding these positions in substantial part, the funding for a given job is up to sixty thousand dollars, all inclusive of all potential benefits or um, other costs. But I mean, often news organizations will top them up. Uh, in addition to all that, probably the neat thing about the LGI program that almost makes it this almost techno utopian way, then it's sort of like two and a half steps removed from something that Corey Doctorow would come up with, is that all the work produced by these journalists is available for any Canadian outlet to use free of charge via a Creative Commons license. And there's actually a portal run by – basically on the Canadian press's wire service platform that anyone can just sign up. Well, any outlet can sign up for, but it's not like a rigorous thing. And you have a constant feed of all these articles licensed under Creative Commons that you can use.
2: So the reason we're talking about Mm -hmm. this, I assume, Jono, is because the program – is set, set to, run to expire out. on March 31st, and the federal government has not said one way or another whether or not it will fund it again. So that is like five weeks, five and a mm-hmm. couple weeks and a couple days from like when this episode will come out. And the risk is that so the the feds have to put out their spring budget before March 31st uh, mm-hmm. because of laws. Um, And they either will include funding for it or won't. But until that happens, all of these 400 journalists have no idea whether they'll have jobs anymore. And I think, you know, the There's concern that even if the government does fund it, it's, like, kind of too late, like, to kind of keep things at least flowing smoothly because there's, you know, coordination involved in getting the funding. So my outlet, Politics Today, our Alberta and B.C. newsletters are partially edited by my colleague, Mick Sweetman, who lives Mm. in Nanaimo, and— he his day job is uh, he's an LJI reporter um, huh. for a uh, radio station there CHLY one hundred seven points CHLY Can they call it the Chili maybe 101.7 FM if you're in, if you're in Nanaimo. but he does like local news reporting for them and yeah he has no idea whether he'll have that job in a couple weeks he's personally not particularly hopeful <laughs> and i mean i think there's a massive contradiction in what you what was discussed on shortcuts last week which is Justin Trudeau railing against Bell for laying mm-hmm. off journalists while 400 journalists you know us Whose employment is contingent on government funding have absolutely no idea whether they're going to have jobs. Like, you know, it like this seems like an easy one for the for Ottawa, right? That like they just fought with Google and Facebook for over a year trying to like save journalism jobs through the convoluted program with Bill C 18. Governments piss $10 million on a Tuesday morning. And yeah. that's, like, even more true with the federal government. So I, there's, it seems like there's no good reason for holding this up.
0: Yeah, I mean, as the CBC reported, the story, I mean, you know, this is, people in people have been talking about this, but CBC.ca just, or CBC News did a story about it. Federal money has kept hundreds of journalists employed in Canada, but the program is set to expire. And part of the quote, well, the key part of the quote from the federal government, the um, perhaps needlessly coy We cannot today announce anything (laughs) attributed to a spokesperson for the Federal Heritage Ministry. Uh, We cannot today announce anything. (laughs) I I certainly take that as we will be announcing something soon because chances are if you were not planning on announcing something soon, they would just jump straight to the We also – our government supports local journalism and all, all, all these other ways. You wouldn't say we cannot today announce anything. So they probably are going to renew it. But maybe not. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of the thing. It's like we don't know. And some outlets very substantially rely like a very substantial part of their reporting staff, editorial staff, are LJR reporters. I mean, you can question whether that was the, that is a good strategy or not. I, I don't know. But I mean like the pointer, which is a Peel region online publication. Um Peel is a you know hugely popular region in the Greater Toronto area. Undercovered, let's say. Yeah, they have have, have three people, three LGI reporters. I don't know – actually, I I should have looked up beforehand how many staff they have overall. But I would imagine that's a very substantial portion.
2: Yeah, that's definitely the outlet that I engage with the most, like, LGI reporting because I read the pointer fairly frequently because they cover – Brampton and Patrick Brown and stuff that is of my uh, Queens Park adjacent mm-hmm. interests. And it's good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think yeah. it would be bad if they couldn't keep doing it.
0: And the program is not without its issues. But I did think it was interesting I mean, the first time I spent time really looking into this or thinking this, we got some Tips about it back in like three and a half years ago about the initial crop and how it was decided. And so the applications and like who judges the applications and who administers it, it's different per sector. So for print and online, it's News Media Canada, which is the industry advocacy group mostly for newspapers. News Media Canada adjudicates applications and administers it for English language, print, and online outlets. The Community Radio Fund of Canada does it for campus and community stations. There's other, you know, I, I can't remember the off the top of the name of the Quebec organization, but, you know, there's different things. Uh, one you know, initial criticisms was that, you know, some of the money was going to relatively well-served areas and relatively well-served, well-served publications. Like in the initial round, as I mentioned, The Star had three, a bunch of the post-media, like the broadsheets, the big post-media papers had... Had one looking at the this year's like the current list of 2023 2024, I was actually like, oh, these are as far as I know, with very few exceptions, like you know Le Devoir. These are actually really fairly small outlets. I mean, I do recognize some post media ones on here, but it's like you know the Belleville Intelligencer. It's not like you know if they have a rural and indigenous affairs reporter, that whole region is better off. Yeah, it's all these media doom and gloom things, and maybe this is a doom and gloom thing. We don't know. Maybe it's a Schrodinger's cat thing. I don't know. I just wanted to point out, like, this is actually a cool thing that this country made happen and has made all these little communities better. And, you know, if you are a Canadian news organization, you don't have to be a member of the program. If you're just a Canadian news or news organization, you can just print this stuff. That's Shortcuts for this week. Thanks for joining me, Allison. You're welcome, Jono. Thanks for having me. People can find me on Blue Sky, but you can also email me at, at candleland.com. I will read everything you send, and I apologize in advance for probably not having the time to reply, but thank you. Oh, and also, of course, I co-host the Wag the Dug podcast. Our monthly podcast about Ontario politics and the Premier of Ontario and the forces that drive him and what that means for everyone with you, Alison. But beyond Wag the Dog, where can people find you, Alison?
2: I am on Twitter at Queen's Park Today.
0: This episode is produced by Aviva Lassard with additional production by Caleb Thompson. Our production coordinator is Andre Prou. Our editor in chief is Karen Puglazy. Our theme music is by so called syndications by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you value this podcast, please support us. We rely on listeners like you paying for journalism. As a supporter, you'll get premium access to all of our shows ad-free, including early releases and bonus content. You'll also get our exclusive newsletter, discounts on Candleland merch, invites and tickets to our live and virtual events, and more than anything, you'll be a part of the solution to Canada's journalism crisis, and you'll be keeping our work free and accessible to everybody. Come join us now. Click the link in your show notes or go to candleland.com join can listen ad free on Amazon Music included with Prime Hey it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget A Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.